Today on the Matt Wall Show, one of Trump's best achievements as president just came this week at the very end. His administration's 1776 report offers a needed corrective to the anti-American brainwashing in schools. Of course, the left is steaming mad about it, as they tend to be. We'll address their criticisms today. Also, five headlines, including Katie Couric uh, is wondering how conservatives might be deprogrammed. And Nancy Pelosi discusses the, quote, trauma Congress suffered during the riots on uh, January 6th. And our daily cancellation, we will cancel some very bad parenting advice on TikTok. Probably all parenting advice on TikTok should be canceled. All of that and much more today on The Matt Wall Show. One of the most important decisions you can make for yourself and for your family in 2021, if you're looking for a New Year's resolution, well, then here's something to put on your to-do list, and that is get life insurance. Um, and if it seems like a daunting task, well, guess what? Policy Genius is here. Policy Genius can help you cross it off your list with ease. And this is one. You can make that a New Year's resolution and, and knock it out, nail it in like a couple of minutes. And, uh, and then look at that. You're, you, you've had success for the entire year. Policy Genius makes it easy for you to compare more than 30 top insurers at once and save over 50% in the process. Plus, there's no hassle because their licensed experts work for you, not for the insurance companies. Here's how it works. First, you head to policygenius.com. In minutes, you can work out how much coverage you need and compare quotes from top insurers to find your best price. Policy Genius will compare policies starting at as little as $1 a day. You might even be eligible to skip the in-person medical exam. Once you apply, the Policy Genius team will handle all the paperwork, all the red tape. They're going to take care of all the tough stuff. Um, all you got to do is just tell them what kind of plan you want, and they're going to take care of the rest. It's so easy to do. This kind of service has earned Policy Genius a five-star rating across over 1,600 reviews on Trustpilot and Google. Well-earned rating. And if you want to see why everybody loves Policy Genius, then just go to policygenius.com yourself and check it out and get your, your family protected this year. Uh, make it the year you finally cross life insurance off your list and get protection for your loved ones. Go to policygenius.com and get started. You can save 50% or more by comparing quotes and start the new year with one less thing to worry about. Policy Genius, when it comes to insurance, it's nice to get it right. A few months ago, President Trump announced that he was forming the 1776 Commission to counter the anti-American, anti-truth indoctrination in our schools and other institutions. The focus was especially on debunking the noxious lies told to the public, and in particular our children, by proponents of critical race theory and the 1619 Project and similar things. Ultimately, the, the commission's goal was to offer a, a corrective to leftist historical revisionism and to promote, as Trump calls it, patriotic education. Now, to my mind, uh, this is not only a noble endeavor, but perhaps one of the most important things Trump has done with his presidency. Any attempt to reverse the cultural tide must begin by addressing the fundamental sickness in our education system. Entire generations are being trained from the youngest ages to hate their country. And if they're white, despise their ancestors and themselves. So this is not simply a matter of kids being brainwashed into a lack of patriotism. At a much deeper level, they're being conditioned to believe and build their worldview around what is not true. So I would much rather we call the corrective truthful education rather than patriotic education. I'm not going to quibble much over, over those sorts of details, but that's really what we're talking about here. Yesterday, the 1776 Commission released, released its report, uh, reaffirming the basic truths of America's founding and offering its critiques of the radical leftist version of history. The final product is about 45 pages long. It's well worth the read. And if you take the time to read it, you will already be one step ahead of most of the 
reports critics who do not appear to have even skimmed the document before issuing their many denunciations. For example, CNN's headline declares, Trump administration issues racist school curriculum report on MLK Day. By the way, that's, a, that's not an op-ed. That's their news article calling it racist. The Washington Post quotes outraged historians who are incensed by the report's, quote, outright lies. The New York Times also claims that, quote, historians are, quote, deriding it for its false narratives. Now, a brief sampling of the Post article gives you an idea as to the general flavor of the criticisms. It says, um, quoting now, I don't know where to begin, said public historian Alexis Coe. This report lacks citations or any indication books were consulted, which explains why it's riddled in errors, distortions, and outright lies. Callie Nicole Gross, a history professor at Rutgers and Emory Universities um, and the co-author of A Black Women's History of the United States, said it was dusty and dated and the usual dodge on the long-lasting harmful impacts of settler colonialism, enslavement, Jim Crow, the oppression of women, the plight of queer people as the true threat to democracy. This report makes it seem as if slaveholding uh, founding fathers were abolitionists, that Americans were the early beacons of the global abolitionist movement, that the, that the demise of slavery in the United States was inevitable. Boston University historian Ibram X. Kendi tweeted, it's very hard to find anything in here that stands as a historical claim or as the work of a historian. Almost everything in it is wrong, just as a matter of fact, said Eric Rochway. Um, uh, uh, I, I may sound a, a little incoherent when trying to speak of this, because the report itself is not coherent. It's like historical whack-a-mole. Okay. You'll notice here, as, as you'll notice in nearly all of the denunciations of the 1776 report, that little attempt is made to engage with the specific and most essential historical claims that it makes. We're simply assured that the report is completely false and misguided and silly and racist. But nobody issuing these assurances will bother to explain why. That CNN article that called it racist, at no point in the article... Did it defend or justify or explain that characterization? It just said, well, it's racist. You know, of course it is. In fact, the critics say, you know, the report isn't just wrong, but incoherent. And this causes me to suspect that perhaps these professional historians are having trouble with the document because they're illiterate, which would explain quite a lot about how history is taught these days. And would explain why they, by their own admission, cannot seem to understand a report that lays out its case very clearly and cogently. You can agree or disagree with what the, what the report says, but any literate person should at least be able to comprehend what is being said. These historians can't even do that, they say. They, don't even, they, they just don't understand it. They're completely confused. Mostly it seems that the scholarly community takes great umbrage with the report's section on slavery. That, that's, that's the part that's gotten the most attention, which they say dismisses, or as Huffington Post, uh, a Huffington Post headline claims, justifies the practice of slavery. That's what they're saying. They're saying that the, the report justifies slavery, defends it. So let's read what it actually says on the subject. Hopefully you'll find this at least coherent. I mean, you tell me if you can at a minimum understand what's being said. Okay. This is a quote now from the 1776 uh, commission report. The most common charge leveled against the founders and hence against our country itself is that they were hypocrites who didn't believe in their stated principles. And therefore the country they built on rests on a, they built rests on a lie. This charge is untrue and has done enormous damage, especially in recent years, with a devastating effect on our civic unity and social fabric. Many Americans labor under the illusion that slavery was somehow a uniquely American evil. It is essential to insist at the outset that the institution be seen in a much broader perspective. It is very hard for people brought up in the comforts of modern America, in a time in which the media, in which the idea that all human beings have 
inviolable, in, inviolable rights and inherent dignity is almost taken for granted to imagine the cruelties and enormities that were endemic in earlier times. But the unfortunate fact is that the institution of slavery has been more the rule than the exception throughout history. It was the Western world's repudiation of slavery, only just beginning to build at the time of the American Revolution, which marked a dramatic sea change in moral sensibilities. The American founders were living on the cusp of this change in a manner that straddled two worlds. Okay. Did you understand that? It seems coherent, isn't it? I had no trouble understanding the point. It goes on to discuss the attitudes that the founders had towards slavery. Some were against it. Some were for it. Some wrestled with the issue throughout their lives. Uh, ultimately, of course, slavery was abolished in this country, and it only took America 90 years to do it. America was only a country for 90 years, uh, give or take, before slavery was abolished. Compare that to the track record of other nations, some of which have been around for millennia and still to this day have not completely abolished it right now. And when you do that, you see that our country is not guiltless, but its guilt is no greater than most any other nation on earth. And in many cases, it's quite a bit lesser. Now, it may be hard for media people and scholars to understand the simple but crucial point being made here. But that's either because they don't want to understand or they're too stupid to understand or both. The, the goal of critical race theory and of the modern left generally is to saddle white Americans with a special and lasting guilt stemming from these historical injustices and to paint America itself as uniquely evil and almost singular, singularly responsible for atrocities like slavery. This is wrong. And it matters that it's wrong. We cannot assess our own history or the people who comprise it if we do not have an accurate and a complete understanding of the context in which these people lived and acted. So we can quite easily and self-assuredly sit here right now from our comfortable position and condemn men like George Washington and Thomas Jefferson for not being racially enlightened enough. But to, but, you know, to thoughtful people, it should make a difference that Washington and Jefferson lived at a time when almost nobody on the entire planet was racially enlightened by our standards today. Slavery was indeed a foregone conclusion, a normal part of life for nearly everyone, everywhere, through all of human history until the last couple of centuries. We could have an interesting discussion about why this was the case. How was this the case? How is it that, that the whole world could have been so blind to a moral truth that we all now see so clearly? And when I say we all, I mean we in the West, because in other parts of the world, they still don't see it. But we cannot have that discussion if we insist on absolving everyone everywhere of guilt except for white men in North America. The discussion becomes absurd at that point and pointless. And whatever conclusions you draw will be false and harmful. They'll be the conclusions of the 1619 Project and critical race theory, which the 1776 report rightly condemns. Now, the report ends with this passage, which I like. It says, to be an American means something noble and good. It means treasuring freedom and embracing the vitality of self-government. We are shaped by the beauty, bounty, and wildness of our continent. We are united by the glory of our history. We are distinguished by the American virtues of openness, honesty, optimism, determination, generosity, confidence, kindness, hard work, courage, and hope. Our principles did not create these virtues, but they laid the groundwork for them to grow and spread and forge America into the most just and glorious country in all of human history. Admittedly, okay, some of that is a matter of opinion. I'm not sure there is any objective, factual measure for the gloriousness of a country. But it's good for a person to feel this way about his country. 
And there is good reason to feel this way about our country. It's how many other people in many other countries feel about their countries. All, and all of those countries have their own troubled histories, their own sins, their own guilt, many cases much worse than our own. Yet nobody would, 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 would mock or scold them, the people in those countries, for their patriotism. It's only us. We are the only ones, the only ones, who are supposed to be ashamed of our country and its history and its heroes. We are the only ones who are not supposed to be too enthusiastic in our patriotism. You know, we're supposed to issue a thousand apologies as a preamble for every good thing we say about our country. At least that's what they tell us. At least that's the rules they want to impose. And we should not listen. We should reject that. Absolutely. Now let's get to our five headlines. All right. Um, by the way, I, I just have to, this is more a question I'm asking. I just have to say this because I don't know where else to say it. Uh, but it's something that's really been, it's been a, a source of, of great contention in my home uh, and something we've been dealing with. But um, those robotic vacuums, I don't know if, you, if, you've, if you've gotten one of these things, like a Roomba, the robotic vacuum, seems like a great idea, right? You get the Roomba. I think we got a knockoff version. Maybe this is the problem, but we just got it. And I was very excited about, the, about it because the, the idea is you just put it on the ground and you, you never have to sweep again or vacuum, just does it on its own. You got a robot in your house doing a chore. It's everyone's dream come true. They're very excited about it, but the thing is useless. It just ambles around on the rug. I was watching it yesterday and it, it, it was, there was a Cheerio on the ground and it navigated around the Cheerio like three times. And I'm just sitting there like, get the Cheerio. I'm not going to bend down and pick it up. I'm too busy. For instance, I'm sitting here watching the vacuum cleaner. So what's, uh, do we just, is, do you need a better brand or what's the deal? Do these things actually work? That's my question. Someone can answer that for me, please. Um, maybe more important issues to talk about. Number one, Katie Couric and Bill Maher are, um, well, they're worried about, about, uh, about deprogramming Republicans, you know, because that, that's, what, that's, that's the, the, the project that we're, they're going to have to undertake in the years ahead um, in this, this uh, deprogramming because we're all brainwashed. And uh, let's listen to that now. It's really bizarre, isn't it, when you think about how AWOL so many of these members of Congress have gotten. But I also think some of them are believing the garbage that they are being fed 24-7 on the Internet, by their constituents, and yeah. they bought into this big lie. And the question is, how are we going to really almost deprogram these people who have signed up for the cult of Trump? Deprogram. And she talks about the cult of Trump. Uh, of course, we know that she's not only referring to that. When we hear this from the media, they're not, they're not, that, that's, that, they, they mean conservatives in general. Now, I'd be the first to admit, and I've said many times, there is among, there has been in some quarters, uh, this is a minority of conservatives, but there has been among some a, a cult-like um, dedication and obsession. Uh, a personality cult. There's, there's no denying there has been a personality cult around Donald Trump. I don't, think any, I don't think any rational person could possibly deny that. And I've talked many times about how, per, the, how damaging personality cults are, are, no matter where you find them on the political spectrum, and you find them on the left and right. Now, they bother me a lot more on the right because it's, that's where I am. And I, I don't like to see that where I am. I don't like to see it so close to home. 
Uh, but we know about the, the personality called around Barack Obama, the, the, the messianic um, way that he, was, that he was celebrated and embraced by the media. So that, that, is, that is an issue, but that's not what, that's not what they're talking about. That's, that might be what they're saying. That's not what they really mean. And the point is, you know, it's, it's one thing when they talk about conservatives like we're all a bunch of evil, racist bigots. You know, that, that's troubling enough, especially when these people seize control of the entire government as they're about to. Uh, what's even worse, though, is when they talk about us like we're sick. That's what you really have to look out for. If they're just screaming at you, you're a big meanie, you're a bigot, okay, fine. When they start talking to you and about you like you're sick, like you need to be treated for a disease, like your ideas are a disease, that's, that's, that's the really disturbing thing. That's when things can go uh, in a very dystopian direction. Speaking of which, number two, Representative Steve Cohen has concerns of his own, um, and he's worried that, you know, basically that the D.C. right now is militarized. It's under military occupation. But he's not worried about that. He's worried instead about the race of some of these uh, National Guard guardsmen that are are there. Let's listen to this. It was certainly raised this morning. I was reading about this on on my Twitter account, I guess, and people were reminding people of Anwar Sadat and Indira Gandhi who were killed by her own their own people. Um, you know, I was thinking the guard is 90 some odd percent, I believe, male. Uh, only about 20 percent of white males voted for Biden. you got to figure that in the guard, which is predominantly more conservative, and I see that on my social media and we know it, they're probably not more than 25 percent of the people that are there protecting us who voted for Biden. The other 75 percent are in the class that would be uh, the, the large class of folks who might want to uh, uh, do something. Who might want to do something. Just, just what, what does that mean? I think we all know what it means. Just casually accusing National Guard of being a bunch of a, potential assassins. Eh, no big deal. But of course, that's what he's focused on, is the, the racial makeup. Meanwhile, th- there are real criticisms that you could lob against the, the fact that, that D.C. is essentially under military occupation at present. Um, now, you, you remember when in the midst of the BLM riots and uh, finally, finally, after days of it, there was a response and um, a response that almost met the, the violence coming from the rioters. And the media all day long was, was complaining about it. it's militarized, it's, uh, it's, it's overboard, yet they seem to have no problem with this. You know, I've, I have friends who are in D.C., sending me pictures or talking about the experience. It's just eerie. It's like they've never seen anything like this in any American city, least of all Washington, D.C. So if we're going to be criticizing it, I think, I, think th- I think that would be the issue, no matter the race of the people who are doing the occupying. Meanwhile, Nancy Pelosi um, was, was on Hillary Clinton's podcast. Now, I, I just learned that Hillary, Hillary Clinton has a podcast, apparently. I don't know who would sit down and listen to a Hillary Clinton podcast, of all things. But I guess some people do. At least Nancy Pelosi does. And uh, she was on the, the podcast uh, talking about many things, but really focusing on the trauma that uh, people in Congress suffered on January 6th during the riots. Let's listen to that. 
I, as an American, am incredibly grateful for your steadiness and your devotion to our democracy. How are you holding up? Well, first, let me just say I was very much looking forward uh, to being with you. Uh, the kind words that you say, I accept on behalf of my House Democratic Caucus colleagues. They've been so courageous, so steadfast, so patriotic, so committed to their oath of office. And they said at that point that they were storming the Capitol and the security just whisked away. Well, it was stunning. But and now again, they are protective. And I thought, well, okay, yeah, I'll go with you because it's your job to make sure that I do. And I don't want to endanger anybody else. And I'm a target, you know. So mm -hmm. so when we got in the car, I said, well, where are we going? Like to another room. No, we're going to an undisclosed location. You know, when I hear um, talk of the, the trauma, that, and, and they haven't stopped talking about how, how traumatic it was for them, this whole experience. But whenever I hear this, my mind, I go back to a story that I don't, you, you may have forgotten about or you may not have heard at all because it wasn't exactly something that the, the mainstream media was eager to report. But just one example, you know, you go back to the riots throughout the summer and um, so many, just, just, just you have your pick of the litter. You could pick so many examples of traumatic things that, uh, that regular American citizens suffered. And people like Nancy Pelosi never said a word about that, never spoke a word about the trauma of people who live in these cities that have been racked by, by rioting, uh, the businesses burned down, family members killed. You know, I, I don't know, the, the family members of, of David Dorn, for example, Nancy Pelosi ever say anything about that, the trauma they're suffering? But I go, my mind goes back to one particular incident. Um, the Chicago Ronald McDonald House Cancer Center for Children during the rioting in Chicago, which there was rioting all throughout the summer, right? Uh, during the BLM rioting, the cancer center was attacked by rioters. Okay, yes, they, they attacked a cancer center for children. And there were kids inside, there were families inside, and they were terrified because they're listening to the, the windows being smashed downstairs. Now, just imagine that for a second. I mean, imagine you're a child and you're sick with cancer and you're and, uh, and then you hear this, this commotion outside, these, these unruly crowds. You hear your, the windows being smashed in your building. Imagine you're a parent of a child going through that. There was one young child, and we talked about this at the time, so maybe if you've been listening to this, if you, if you've been listening to this show, you heard about this at least. Um, one young child, Owen, I believe was his name, two years old, fighting stage four cancer. And he was supposed to go home to sell it for his birthday party that day. And he couldn't go home. He missed his birthday party. Now, they celebrated it later, but he missed his birthday party that day because of the, um, because of the rioting outside. It was, it was unsafe to leave the building. So, I, you know, I don't know. When I think about trauma that people suffered, emotional trauma that they suffered during rioting, I am much, much more concerned about those kids and many other children, too, affected by it. But even just that one case... I'm more concerned about their emotional trauma. Think about the emotional trauma they are suffering. That's something that they're going to remember in their nightmares, probably for the rest of their lives. I, I, I just, I'm, I'm a lot more concerned about that than I am about the, the trauma, the emotional trauma of grown adults, powerful people, politicians in Congress. That's just me. I certainly reject the idea that we're supposed to be more concerned about that, about their trauma, the politicians. 
and what happened to them was so much worse. It was, it was desecrating sacred ground and sacred people, apparently. I, I, I absolutely reject that. All right, number three, from Variety, it says, Walt Disney, Frank Capra, uh, Whitney Houston, Billie Holiday, Johnny Cash, and Alex Trebek are among the entertainment industry figures who have been added as a proposed as proposed honorees in the National Garden of American Heroes Monument Project unveiled by President Donald Trump in July. As he began his final 40 hours of president, Tr- Trump issued an, an amended executive order Monday that added dozens of names slated to be honored in the planned statu- uh, statuary park. So there's all kinds of all kinds of names. This is going to be a whole park. It's kind of like a wax museum that he's got planned now. Except I guess these are going to be, you know, these are going to be sculptures, statues. Um, so Kobe Bryant, Humphrey Bogart, Miles Davis, Charlton Heston, Alfred Hitchcock, Bob Hope, Elvis Presley, Jimmy Stewart, Ray Charles, Nat King Cole. Um, I, I'm pretty sure Christopher Columbus is going to be that. George Washington. John Adams, Thomas Jefferson. So we're throwing some of them into Martin Luther King Jr., Jackie Robinson, Amelia Earhart. So it, it does seem like kind of a, a random assortment of people, but I like the idea. My, my only, of course, my only uh, issue with, with any statue or monument project being undertaken right now, right before Democrats take over, is that all that stuff is just going to come down. But I'm in favor of just just keep building the statues. And if this is what it comes to, every time we have a Republican president, just build like a thousand more statues. Just keep building them. Um, All right. Number four, I wanted to play this for you just because I thought it was very inspiring. Um, Personally, I I was inspired by it. We we played yesterday, Kamala Harris, talking about her shoes. And that also was pretty inspiring. But... Uh, here she is with some invigorating words of encouragement just for anyone out there. She says she's a, she's kind of a motivational speaker and she's a mentor. And these are her words of encouragement. I thought this was pretty great. Listen. I was raised to understand many people will tell you it is impossible, but don't listen. I mentor a lot of people and I tell them that there will be people who will say it's not your turn. It's not your time. No one like you has done it. And I'll tell them, and don't you listen. And then I will go on to tell them, I eat no for breakfast. <laughs> so authentic. So authentic. It's the parade of cliches. Just throw a bunch of cliches in a blender. You know. Blend it up and pour it out. And that's, that's what you have every time, uh, every, every time Kamala Harris speaks. I eat no for breakfast. Do you really say that? Is that really what you say to people? I hope you don't say that in real life to people. In a normal conversation, hey, listen, I eat no for breakfast. What? Why would you say that? Uh, but, uh, you know, on the other hand, I have to credit where it's due. Um, Kamala Harris, early on in her career, to establish her political career, it cannot be denied that, you know, she 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 took a very hands-on approach. Hands-on you know, hands all, all kinds of places. I mean, she really took a hands-on approach and she was going to get down and dirty and, and really make sure that she, uh, that she got her, her political career going. And I, and I, and I, and that, that much you do have to respect. That's all I'll say. By the way, I just saw that Sarah Fuller, uh, kicker for Vanderbilt, 
Remember, she was the, you know, the, 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 the woman they brought in to kick at Vanderbilt. She's going to be at the, the inauguration, apparently, which means there will be a person who won the job because of her gender, despite a mediocre performance, and also Sarah Fuller will be there. So that's going to be great. Number five, Chicago prosecutors say that, uh, this is from Daily Wire, Chicago prosecutors say that 36-year-old Adyita Singh lived in the city's O'Hare International Airport for three months to avoid flying home to Los Angeles amid the coronavirus pandemic. This is one of those very strange stories. I've seen it everywhere, and I I kind of assume we're going to find out in a couple of weeks that half of this is just wrong. It didn't happen because it doesn't make any sense whatsoever. Um, CWB Chicago, which regularly covers the city's bond hearings, noticed uh, Singh's case on Sunday when Singh came up for bond on charges of criminal trespass to a restricted area and petty theft, apparently for continuing to use an airport worker's misplaced credentials. Singh first arrived to Chicago on a flight from Los Angeles on October 19th, um, and then he just decided to stay there, and he's been relying on other passengers to provide him with food. Shouldn't that, I mean, the moment you have a panhandler in the airport, so you're telling me this guy was panhandling in the airport, and it took took people three months to notice? An airport of all places? With security everywhere? I've, cause I've, I've never seen that. I've never seen, you, you see in, in Chicago, you see panhandling everywhere. The only place you wouldn't see it is in an airport. So I don't know. I guess people just, they were going through Chicago airport. They figured, well, this is part of the culture here. Um, so he, uh, let's see, he was using the credential and he, I don't know. We don't know where he slept or what he did. My first question is why O'Hare of all places? I can understand spending a few months, you know, in maybe the Minneapolis airport or even Charlotte, but O'Hare, Chicago. The, the, the only good thing about O'Hare is that it's the one place in Chicago where you probably won't get shot. But other than that, it doesn't have much to recommend it. Um, as much as I kind of like airports, actually. Good thing about airports, you can drink at 7 a.m. Nobody judges you. It's like the one place in the world where you can do that. That in a cruise ship, I guess. But that's a strange story. I guess we'll, we'll have to keep our eyes on that to see, when the, to see when the update comes next week saying, oh, yeah, you know, this never happened. But for now, we can enjoy the story as it exists. Before we get to our daily cancellation, you know, we've been telling you for so long about rockauto.com. And there's a reason for that because it's, it's just it's easy. It's affordable. And it's the best thing to do if you need auto parts. Uh, and how about, how about make this make this something you could do this year is uh, just forget about going to the auto parts store. You don't need to do that. You can you can take that hassle out of your life, make your life a little bit a little bit a little bit a little a little more stress free. Take a little bit of the stress out of your life. Uh, why not do that with RockAuto.com? It's so much easier than walking into a store and having to answer all the questions that they might be demanding of you, and you might not know all the answers right away. And then uh, what's going to happen? A lot of times they don't even have the part you're looking for. They got to order it online. And you can just do that yourself because you have access to rockauto.com at your desk and in your pocket. Rockauto.com always offers the lowest prices possible rather than changing prices based on what the markets will bear like airlines do. Why spend up to twice as much for the same parts? I ask you that. I demand an answer. If you can't answer it, then go to rockauto.com. And the other great thing, it's a family business. They've been serving auto part customers online for 20 years. You can go to rockauto.com to shop for auto and body parts from hundreds of manufacturers. Best of all, prices at rockauto.com are always reliably low. If you see the price at Rock Auto, you know, you can go and check somewhere else if you want to go do that whole rigmarole, but you know you don't really need to do that because if you see it there, it's the best price you can you're gonna get. Uh, they're gonna get you the, they're gonna give you the best price that is possible. Rockauto.com, 
Um, really easy to navigate and find those great prices. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need. Go to rockauto.com right now. See all the parts available for your car or truck. Write Walsh in there. How did you hear about us box so that they know that we sent you. And last Thursday was a big day for the Daily Wire. We made our entrance into the uh, entertainment space with a big feature film, Run, Hide, Fight. And this is a movie, this is a, a, a tense, exciting, very well-made movie. And that's what I keep telling everyone. If you're worried about, oh, is this one of those, it's one of those typical movies that you get from conservative companies, or it's just the acting is pretty bad and the script is bad. And you just sort of endure it because you feel like you're doing a, it's almost like an act of charity to watch the movie. Um, and the answer is no, that is not the case with this movie. It's a great script, great acting. Um, and it just, it's just, it's, it's, it's escapism entertainment. It wraps you into the story. Um, and if you want to watch the movie, um, you can become a member. Use promo code RHF to get 25% off your membership. That's RHF for 25% off. As we keep reminding you, this is not uh, a family movie. Okay, this is a, a, there's violence in this movie. It's an intense film. But at the same time, and you know, it's, it's also entertaining, but there is, there is also a message there. They're not going to hit you over the head with the message, but there's a message uh, for, for adults. You know, it's not for kids, but it's for adults. We picked this movie, movie up even after Hollywood refused to, and you can tell that it was worth it because if you go to Rotten Tomatoes, uh, go to Rotten Tomatoes right now, you're going to see the critics are giving it like a 14% rating, but the audience is giving it like 98%. Okay, so you see that disparity. That's when you know a movie is good. We're excited to bring you great stories that Hollywood refuses to tell, and we hope you'll join us and become a member today over at dailywire.com. And remember, you'll get 25% off when you use promo code RHF. So go watch the movie now, and let's get to our daily cancellation. Today for our daily cancellation, we're going to be canceling someone who dispensed some bad parenting advice on TikTok. And really, I suppose we should just cancel all parenting advice that is given on TikTok. Frankly, I'm horrified to discover that parenting advice on TikTok is even a thing. But it is a thing, apparently, and, and very much so. Our culprit today has a TikTok account with 100,000 followers. And the video we're going to play in a moment has 7 million views and 700,000 likes. Okay, so the sad reality, as much as we might hate to admit it, is that a great many young people are going to learn about parenting and get their parenting wisdom and advice from TikTok. So it does matter that the advice is so abysmally stupid and also dangerous. So we'll go through this video. Um, it's less than a minute, but, uh, but here it is. And uh, we'll, we'll start here and we'll discuss. Why I don't use a crib for my five-month-old. When you look at a typical American nursery, you will notice that it's set up for the parent's benefit, not the child's. Okay, you're right. That's true. Let's just stop right there. The, the nursery is for the parent's benefit. In fact, everything in the house is for the parent's benefit. In the sense that it's all set up, how it's set up, because the parents want it that way. And know they need it that way. They also know their kids need it that way. Even if, even if their kids don't want it that way. You know, if we're up to my kids, we would be living in refrigerator boxes outside, defecating in the yard, eating fast food for every meal. Yes, I'm teeing up for a San Francisco joke here, but it's probably not necessary to spell out the punchline. The point is the nursery, the, the kitchen, the living room, the living room, everything in the house, they're all going to be set up to the parent's specifications for the benefit of both the parent and the child. I cannot imagine what a nursery set up to an infant's specifications would look like because infants don't have specifications because they're infants. Okay, let's get back to the clip. The artwork is usually up high where babies can't even see it. We literally buy these little baby jail cells so that we can just leave our baby in there and walk away. 
Well, again, yeah. You know, I, I wouldn't call it a jail cell. That might be a bit dramatic, but it is certainly a huge benefit to be able to put your baby down and walk away. The other option is to what? Never walk away from your child ever? I mean, just 24 hours a day, every day, you, you, you're never in a different room? See, this is how you know the young lady here only has one child and only has been a parent for a few months. And it's also why nobody with one kid who is still, who, and the kid is still a baby, should be giving any parenting advice at all, ever, to anyone. If you're still at the point where you're scandalized by the idea of a parent putting their child down for a minute and walking away, then you haven't been in this game long enough. You need a few more circles under the eyes, a little more drool and spit up on the shoulder, a little dirt under the fingernails, or something under your fingernails. You hope it's dirt. You never know when there are kids in the house. I can tell you, I can't tell you how many times as a parent I've been holding a child or even like sitting in a chair or something, and then I look down and there's some sort of ominous substance on me, and I think, what the hell is this? Is this pudding? Please tell me this is pudding. Who had pudding? Anyway, back to the video. I don't have a crib because I will never enforce my baby to have a bedtime. Babies are people too, and forcing anyone to sleep when they're not tired is inhumane. Imagine if your partner locked you in a container you couldn't get out of and told you you had to sleep even though you weren't tired. That would be abuse, and you'd probably leave them. Kids deserve the right to bodily autonomy just like we do, and that involves sleep. Okay, many problems here. First, your baby is not your partner. Um, that is a very strange way of characterizing it. Uh, your baby is, is, is not your partner in any sense at all. Your baby is your baby. And the thing about your baby being your baby is that he's a baby. As such, he has no idea when he's tired. He has no idea when he needs to sleep. Babies cry when they're tired, okay? It's extremely irrational behavior. I, I, have, I have turned to my kids when they're crying because they're tired. And I have said, hey, if you're tired, just go to sleep. You're a baby. Don't you understand that? You could literally just lie on the floor right now and sleep and nobody would judge you. I can't do that. I wish I could. I can't just pass out on the floor. What are you crying about? I, I should be the one crying. You've kept me awake for the past nine months. I'm hallucinating. I'm literally going to die. You don't see me crying. I've said this to our babies many times, but it's no use. I've discovered these are the lessons you learn with parenting. They can't be reasoned with. They don't understand anything. They, they, they don't know that they're supposed to sleep when they're tired. You have to think about that. This, this is how clueless kids are. This is your job as a parent. You have to teach them that you're supposed to sleep when you're tired. That is not something that comes naturally. You have to give them that structure and guidance. Um, you know, my my 14-month-old was, was fussy and tired the other day, so... She, she literally started, this is what she was doing because she was tired. She was running in circles in the living room, periodically throwing herself on the ground and crying, and at other points, laughing hysterically. This is the behavior of a lunatic, but she gets, she gets a pass because she's 14 months old. That's why I had to pick her up, put her in the crib, and say, okay, bedtime. So forcing your child to sleep is one of the best things you can do for them. Give them structure, get them on a schedule, make sure they're rested. It's a very good idea. All right, let's 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 finish this, put ourselves out of our misery. One last clip, let's go. This is our current setup, but we also have a floor bed. The floor bed allows the baby to sleep when the baby is feeling sleepy and get up and move around when the baby's not. My God. Get up and move around whenever he wants? He's five months old. What is he going to do? Walk out to the kitchen and fix himself a sandwich in the middle of the night? Don't mind me, mom, just grabbing a midnight snack. 
By the way, please, and this is all joking aside, uh, and I, I really mean this, everyone. You, if, you're, if you're watching the video, you can see this, this uh, image of the child. This, as a parent of four kids, this to me is one of the most terrifying things I've ever looked at in my life, this picture right here. You tell me that's, that's the bed of a five-month-old? Please, do not put your babies in beds with blankets and pillows and stuffed animals, as this woman has apparently done. I am genuinely concerned for the child's welfare. They can easily suffocate at that age with that sort of stuff in their bed. Do not do that. I mean, really, you want you want to be. I, I'm I'm maybe a little bit more paranoid about uh, about choking and and suffocation as a parent than I need to be. But what I would say is, you want to be well into their first into their second year of life. You want to be well past the one year mark before you start putting them in bed with any kind of blankets or pillows or anything. They don't need it. And at five months, do not do that. Do not do that. They, they can get that, that stuff gets wrapped around their head, and that's how, that's how you get SIDS. That's how kids die in their sleep. Okay, it happens. So put your baby in a crib. Treat your baby like a baby, because he is a baby. Uh, that's what you should do. Basically, do the opposite. This is my recommendation. You can take it from the guy with four kids or the woman who's, got, who's had one kid for five months. Uh, what I would say is do the opposite of everything you just heard from our friend in the video. All of that. Take all of that and just do the, the opposite of it. That's a good way of being. Because for now, she is canceled. And I really hope to God someone talks some sense into her. And soon. And that'll do it for us today. Thanks for watching, everybody. Thanks for listening. Have a great day. Godspeed. Well, if you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe. And if you want to help spread the word, please give us a five-star review. Also, tell your friends to subscribe as well. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you listen to podcasts, we're there. Also, be sure to check out the other Daily Wire podcasts, including The Ben Shapiro Show, Michael Knowles Show, The Andrew Clavin Show. Thanks for listening. The Matt Walsh Show is produced by Sean Hampton, executive producer Jeremy Boring. Our supervising producers are Mathis Glover and Robert Sterling. Our technical director is Austin Stevens. Production manager, Pavel Vodosky. The show is edited by Danny D'Amico. Our audio is mixed by Mike Coromina. Hair and makeup is done by Nika Geneva. And our production coordinator is McKenna Waters. The Matt Wall Show is a Daily Wire production. Copyright Daily Wire 2021. Today on the Ben Shapiro Show, as Joe Biden prepares to take office as president of the United States, Democrats push radical policies and revenge. And we ask whether a worse authoritarian threat is actually around the corner. That's today on the Ben Shapiro Show. Give it a listen. Listen.